Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, I'm Michael Kingswood. It's story time. And I am really, really late. Like two weeks late. Um, at least. I've sucked at podcasting the last uh, few weeks. See, I spent a week in Vegas and said I was going to do a podcast then, and I didn't. Then I did a week in Philly and said I was going to do a podcast then, and I didn't. And now I'm back, and I'm finally doing it. <laughs> well, okay. Um, sorry. Suffice to say, uh, life's still going pretty well in the writing world. Still winning at the Great Challenge. Uh, this week is week 20. i am already got my week 20 story in progress, and we'll get that nailed out. So we'll do 20 weeks in a row writing a story getting it in and that's pretty awesome um and i decided i'm going to take a break from the routine that we've been doing the last few times i'm not going to read from the pericles conspiracy this time um i take a little break from that just for this one week and i'm going to read the story that i that i put up on the infinite bard at the beginning of this month and i think i told you about it my story doppelganger uh, i've been meaning to it's already published, and I just wanted to do it as an audiobook because I've been meaning to put more audiobooks out there. I've slowed down on that the last few months, and you can see audiobook revenue has been going down because of that. Um, and since it'll be many, many weeks till the Pericles Conspiracy is ready to be put in an audiobook, I figured I would just do a shorter one this week. I really want to record a short story a week for audiobookization because I've got <laughs> enough stories I can do there for a while but uh, the podcast forces me to do it when I'm actually good at doing the podcast so this week we're going to read Doppelganger it's a science fiction mystery and uh, hopefully you like it I'm not going to spend any more time on this since I've kept you guys waiting so long for <laughs> the latest podcast just get right to it get to the story and I'll talk to you again on the flip side Hope you enjoy it. Doppelganger, a science fiction mystery written by me, narrated by me. The ER waiting room could have been transplanted from any hospital, anywhere. Incoming patients sitting in various stages of boredom on the cheap chairs surrounding vid screens as they waited to be called back to triage. Obviously worried families huddling together, looking over at the orderly station every few minutes, as though willing some news to appear as if by magic. Triage nurses, with harried looks about their eyes, processing the seemingly endless flow of people, and the orderly holding court behind her counter, a bored and slightly irritated expression on her face. A chubby man in jeans and a t-shirt turned away from the orderly station as Ben and Devon approached, and maneuvered with an obvious limp toward a nearby chair, where he settled down with a half-groan to wait. The orderly watched him depart for a second before turning disinterested eyes on them. How can I help you? Ben fished his badge out of the inner pocket of his overcoat, 
Detective Sergeant Mulcahy, he said, and he nodded to Devon, who had produced his own badge. Detective Abrams. The orderly's expression immediately changed, becoming guarded, almost worried. She swallowed and glanced away from them toward the rear corner of the waiting room. Of course. She tapped the data pad on her workstation and looked down toward the screen. Speaking softly, she said, The police are here. A brief pause, then she nodded and looked up at them. One moment, detectives. Thank you. Ben moved away from the counter. He looked over toward where the orderly had glanced and saw a couple in their early thirties, well-to-do from their clothes, sitting alone and holding each other close as though afraid something would drag them apart if they let go. Disbelief and fear showed clearly on their faces, the same as on half the other faces in the waiting room. Ben frowned. Dispatch had been fairly vague about the problem here, just that the ER staff needed assistance with a patient. Not the sort of thing detectives generally get sent to, so why? Detectives? Ben turned to find a short, skinny man of about 50, wearing scrubs with a stethoscope hanging around his neck and an ID badge on his left breast, approaching them briskly. He held out his hand when he came near. I'm Dr. Jefferson. Ben shook hands and introduced himself and found the doctor's grip firm, but cold. After exchanging pleasantries with Devin, Jefferson gestured for them to follow. Come with me, please. They went through a set of swinging double doors, then down a typically drab hospital hallway that turned right after a couple dozen yards. Coming to a halt before the door to an entreatment room, Jefferson looked at them seriously. Neither of you are squeamish, I hope. Devin snorted. Ben just shook his head. As many crime scenes as they'd seen over the years? Jefferson nodded, then pushed the door open and led them within. She was brought in earlier this evening. She'd been playing and stumbled off the sidewalk right in front of a car. The doctor shook his head with a sad frown and stepped over to the room's single bed. A small girl, preteen from the size of her and mostly covered by the standard white sheets that all hospitals seem to use, lay there, motionless. By the time she got here, her heart had stopped. The paramedics were performing CPR as they wheeled her in, but she was not responding. He reached her bedside and placed his hand on her head, which was turned away from the door so Ben could not see her face. We got to work on her, but she was just too far gone. I had just called time of death when we saw... Jefferson stopped and, taking a grip of the girl's blonde hair, he pulled his hand up. The girl's scalp and part of her face pulled up and away from the head, skin and tissue parting easily. Ben found himself cringing for a second until he saw what lay beneath. Devon's sharp intake of breath mirrored Ben's own. Lights glinted off silvery metal that the girl's flesh had covered. Cracked metal. Wires and what looked like part of a circuit board poked out through the crack, and it was clear this was no girl. She's a robot, Devon exclaimed. Dr. Jefferson nodded gravely. But how? Ben asked, breathlessly. He had heard of these sorts of things, even seen one in a museum once but the construction of androids had been outlawed for decades. Jefferson shook his head. No idea. He let the scalp fall, and again the thing on the bed went back to looking like a normal, dead girl. The doctor turned to the wall next to the bed and tapped a control, bringing the wall's display to life. But I ordered a full medical scan. The construction is really quite detailed. On the wall, images showed the picture beneath the girl robot's skin. Actuators, pistons, skeleton. Ben lost track of it all. This is real skin over the skeletal structure, Jefferson said. He pointed at a roundish sack-looking thing in the abdomen. This appears to be a mechanical stomach, and here is a heart. He pursed his lips appreciatively. So it could eat and excrete enough to keep the skin alive and appear normal. And look at the skeletal structure. The bones have micro-actuators within them. So she would actually grow, Devon said, sounding stunned. The doctor nodded approvingly. 
The designer went to a lot of trouble to make it appear as human as possible. He paused. I suspect it would even pass a routine medical exam. Ben wet his lips and found he could not tear his gaze away from the images on the wall display. No mystery why he had been called in now. Any idea where it came from? The doctor opened his mouth to reply, but an elderly nurse hurried into the room, interrupting him. She looked even more harried than usual for a person in her job. Doctor, the family is asking about her... It. Again, she said, gesturing toward the thing on the bed. They're causing a ruckus. It all came together then. The couple in the corner, Ben asked. The nurse glanced at the doctor, then nodded. Her parents. Or at least, that's what they think, Devin said, his tone suddenly grim. And that's the other reason we called you, the doctor said. I have no idea how to handle... He left the rest, go unsaid. Ben traded looks with his partner. How in the hell was he supposed to tell those worried people that their little girl wasn't just dead, but that she wasn't even a little girl at all? Yeah, he always got the short stick. Ben sighed, then straightened, squaring his shoulders. Let's get it done, he said. Tell me about the parents. Captain Lois Kinsley was nothing if not direct. In her mind, the most likely suspect often ended up being the perp. In fairness, from what Ben had seen, this tended to be true more often than not, but this time it was clear she was barking up the wrong tree. He and Devon stood in her office, a small cube on the third floor of the 16th precinct that she had tried to make homey with a potted plant in the corner and pictures of her family on the walls. It didn't work, especially at a time like this, discussing a case like this. They're clean, said Devon. He'd been checking that all morning. We've got birth certificates, pictures, videos, financial records. They, no kidding, gave birth to Emily Westerson 11 years ago last May and have been raising her happily ever since, he frowned. Until now. The captain leaned back in her chair and matched Devin's frown. So you're telling me someone took a real little girl and replaced her with this... thing? Ben's turn. He nodded briskly. I've been talking with robotics experts. I guess it's not very hard or expensive to make a device like that. It's just illegal. The hardest part would be behavior. Someone would have had to perform a complete neural workup and memory download. Otherwise, otherwise no one would believe it was really Emily, the captain finished for him. So what are we doing? Uniforms are canvassing their building, her school, her friends' houses, the places she went routinely. Devin and I are going back to their apartment this afternoon. I figure someone must have bugged the place to monitor the android's performance, if nothing else. Problem is, we don't know how long the android's been in place or why, so we have a lot of people and a lot of places to check, and that's just going to take a while. Don't leave any stone unturned, the captain's brows furrowed. I don't have to tell you, this has some important people very concerned. We're getting a lot of latitude to work with on this one, but once the press gets word... She left the rest unsaid, but Ben had no trouble imagining the fiasco that would turn into. Ben, look at this. He turned away from the girl's bedroom window and its view of the quiet suburban street below and moved over to where Devin sat in a small white and pink desk near the head of a similarly colored four-poster bed. Devin had the girl's workstation open and had been sifting through her browsing history while Ben did the physical search. So far, there had been nothing to show for it. He peeked over Den's shoulder at the display and frowned. What am I looking at here? Devin snorted out a half-laugh. IP addresses. Didn't you learn anything in school? He'd learned plenty, but that techie stuff always made his head spin. He didn't bother answering, he just kept glowering at the display. Devin glanced back at him and smirked, then pointed at one line about halfway down the page. 
Most of her browsing is the usual things you'd expect from a girl her age, and it's consistent for the last six months, but this is different. He tapped at that line, and an information tab opened up. Ben felt his frown growing deeper. Technic play? What's that? No idea. Never heard of it before, but she went to it twice two months ago, then again last month, then weekly starting two weeks ago. He turned in his seat and regarded Ben with a single dark eyebrow rising high on his forehead. Coincidence, you think? Ben crossed his arms over his chest and shook his head. Technoplay ended up being easy to find. It was listed in the local business directory and located downtown Caddy Corner from the most popular shopping mall for miles. Ben examined the place as he and Devon got out of their ride. A two-story white cube, featureless except for a large hollow sign displaying the company name amid flashing lights and made-up explosions, and windowless except for wide, transparent doors beneath the sign. It looked to be doing brisk business. A steady stream of mostly teenagers, with a smaller number of twenty-somethings thrown in the mix, entered and exited, all chatting away and laughing as they came and went. Ben shared a look with Devin. Popular place with the kids, looks like. Yeah. Devin couldn't keep the suspicion from his voice. Ben didn't blame him. Inside, Technoplay was a single large room with workstations lined up in rows and cubicled off from the neighbors. It looked like any number of a hundred different tech cafes Ben had visited over the years, with one exception. The customers, again mostly kids, all wore a sort of helmet getup that was wired into their workstations. Ben couldn't see any touchpads, hollow interfaces, or old-fashioned keyboards anywhere in the place. Interesting. The customer service desk stood to the right as they entered, a white countertop manned by a bubbly young redhead in a tight t-shirt with a picture of a battle robot or some sort over it. She beamed a smile at them as they approached. Welcome to Technoplay. How can I serve you today? The way her shirt was straining, Ben was sure Devin could come up with a number of fun answers to that question. For his part, Ben was too old to be chasing after floozies like this one, and besides, they were here on business. He pulled out his badge and showed it to the girl, and immediately her smile faded into seriousness. We'd like to speak with your manager, please. She nodded and tapped a control pad behind the counter. Just one moment, officers. Thanks. They turned away from her and went on studying the room and its inhabitants. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary, except for the age distribution of the clientele. Most tech cafes had a mix of people as customers, but from the look of this place, Devin was probably older than everyone here, which made Ben feel positively ancient. A couple minutes passed that were punctuated only by the passage of half a dozen young people in and out of the cafe, and then finally a door that Ben hadn't noticed before in the rear of the room opened, and a man in khaki pants and a dark blue polo shirt walked out and veered toward them. He stood out, both from his height and his age. He was only a couple years younger than Devin, so in his mid-thirties probably, and he had to be almost seven feet tall. Ben stood a healthy six foot two, and he found himself craning his head back to look at the guy in the eye when he stopped in front of them. The new arrival glanced over at the redhead quickly, then looked Ben and Devin over in a manner that said he was sizing them up. Ben tensed. He had seen that sort of evaluation a number of times right before things got ugly. But then the man smiled affably and held out his right hand for a shake. Officers. Blake Caldwell. Ben took his hand and found his grip surprisingly limp for a man of his size. Detective Sergeant Ben Mulcahy. Are you the manager? Caldwell paused to shake Devin's hand before answering, Owner and general manager. What can I do for you? Devin spoke up. Would like to speak with you about one of your former customers. He glanced over at a group of youths who were just then walking in the door. In private. Caldwell's brow furrowed, but he nodded, that affable smile still in place. 
Come back to my office. Sorry, detectives, but I don't believe I've ever seen this young lady before. Caldwell handed Emily's hollow image back to Devon, a contrite expression on his face. But then, so many people come through here on a daily basis. He didn't finish the sentence, but instead waved toward the door leading from his rather cramped office back to the main cafe floor. Ben hadn't expected the man to actually remember her. Still, it didn't hurt to confirm it. We'd like to access the records of her visits here. Caldwell blinked, and his lips compressed. Sure, do you have a warrant? Christ, not this game. We can get one, Devin said, but that would take a day or two, and time is of the essence in a missing persons case. We were hoping you'd be able to help us out here. Ben usually let Devin take the good cop role. He was good at it. But Caldwell wasn't budging. He shook his head, contrition returning to his face. Sorry, detectives, but we deal with very sensitive, personal information here, and I take my customers' privacy very seriously. He tried to smile again. I want to help you, as soon as you get that warrant. Ben suppressed a sigh. What do you mean, personal information? This is just a tech cafe. We're more than just a tech cafe. We use a unique, patent-pending interface system that fully immerses the customers in their gaming experience. His eyes lit up and a smile returned to his face, but this one was more eager, more genuine than the one he had put on before. It really is a one-of-a-kind system. What is it? Devin sounded genuinely interested. I can't go into the details, Caldwell said. You understand. To keep it simple, we stimulate the customer's sensory neurons so they actually experience the game world as if they were really there. Devin's eyes widened and he grinned broadly. I didn't realize that sort of thing had been approved for civilian use yet. Neither had Ben. He distinctly remembered the full immersion simulator training scenarios he had run back in his Marine Corps days. They had been good. When they worked. But most of the time, the damn things were broken, or some glitch made them freeze up in the middle of a scenario. He recalled hearing that the Corps had stopped using them for that very reason. They had also been proprietary and highly classified military equipment. Something about the security risks inherent in the sensory interface and the simulations themselves prompted the feds to outlaw their use in civilian applications. Caldwell gave a little shrug. As I said, it's a unique system. I assure you the appropriate authorities are aware of it and have given approval. Which meant what, exactly? Whatever, this was all interesting, but Ben wasn't there to talk about the latest in game tech. He could tell that Devin was about to get suckered further into the discussion, though, so it was time to cut this back to brass tacks. He cleared his throat and stood from the small chair he had been sitting in. We'll be back with that warrant. Devin gave him the briefest of confused looks, but stood as well. Caldwell narrowed his eyes, but his lips resumed their earlier, amiable pose. He rose and shook their hands in turn. I'll look forward to it. Ben knew a lie when he heard it, and that, right there, was a big one. The precinct detective's office was abuzz with the usual activity as Ben and Devin walked in, after stopping by the district attorney's office to file for a warrant. They needed to check on the uniform's canvassing efforts, and besides, Ben had left his lunch in the office's communal fridge. It just cost too damn much to eat out all the time. What do you make of that call bell guy, Devin asked as they approached their desks, set up opposite each other just like in every cheesy police show Ben had ever seen. He's into something dirty. Maybe not related to our girl, but something. Devin crooked an eyebrow at him. Nothing wrong with wanting a warrant, bro. Ben gave him a level look and was about to reply when the captain's door swung open and she stuck her head out. Okay, he, Abrams, my office. Christ, what now? 
Ben exchanged a long-suffering look with Devon, then stood to answer the summons. The captain was not alone in her office when they entered. A fit man in his early thirties with a mop of black hair and sharp, dark eyes stood at the other side of her desk. He wore a bland navy blue suit, white shirt, and a matching dark tie. Oh, wonderful. A fed. Close the door, the captain said, and then waited for Devon to comply before proceeding. This is Special Agent Jackson, FBI. Jackson grinned in a manner that Ben supposed was meant to be friendly, but only made it to smarmy before stopping cold. Detectives, great to meet both of you. He even sounded like a jerk. They exchanged handshakes all around, then experienced one of those awkward silences that always happened when one party was about to say something the other won't like. Ben cleared his throat. Okay, Agent Jackson, what's the deal? Jackson's smile faded a tad. I need you guys to lay off Blake Caldwell. Devin's eyebrows climbed high on his forehead. Ben's followed. They traded surprised looks. Wow, that was fast. We only saw him two hours ago. Yes, well, word gets around, Jackson replied. We have an informant in his organization. Not ten minutes after you left his place, he started placing calls and shaking things up. The informant was leading us to evidence of something huge, and now that's all been lost. He poked a finger first at Devin, then at Ben. Thanks to you two. Ben had to restrain himself from leaping over the captain's desk and beating the snot out of the guy. Now look, you, the captain interrupted. Just listen, Ben. Ben cast his, you dumbass, glare her way, but the captain just returned it with her trademarked calm and level stare. He ground his teeth, feeling his scowl deepening for a long several seconds. But, hang it all, she was right. Fighting the feds wouldn't solve anything. At last, he nodded grudgingly and looked back Jackson's way. What do you want him for? Jackson looked between Ben and the captain as though assessing the situation's stability. Then, after a moment, he shrugged. We don't have anything specific. But there's always something shading going on near him, or it seems. Caldwell has high-level friends in DoD and Commerce. That's how we got approval for Technoplay. Because of those contacts, we've been proceeding very carefully. He raised an eyebrow to accentuate the words. Ben nodded. I can understand that. So you see why I need you to back off. If he gets too spooked... He didn't say the rest, but then he didn't need to. Not only would Caldwell close up shop or change things up enough that the Fed's case would be completely blown, but he would also go to his protectors, and Lord only knows what would happen then. Still, I got a missing girl here, Jackson. I know. We got a team from the field office coming down to take over in a couple hours. But in the meantime, leave Caldwell alone. That gave Ben pause. FBI getting involved in a missing person or kidnapping wasn't unusual, but they sure took their time with this one. You think Caldwell's business, whatever it really is, has something to do with my missing girl. Jackson frowned slightly, but didn't say anything. Damn it. This was no time for interagency shenanigans. He leaned forward, staring hard at the Fed. What the hell is this guy really into? Jackson's frown deepened. He opened his mouth as if to speak, then stopped and shook his head. Just drop it, detectives. This is above your pay grades. Hell, it's above my pay grade. He returned Ben's stare in kind. When our team gets here, give them what you got on the case and let it go. Jackson turned and gave the captain a look. She nodded at him, then he walked around the desk toward the door. Devin stepped aside to let him pass and Jackson nodded thanks. Then he left and took Ben's case with him. We're not really going to let the feds take over, are we? Ben just looked at Devin and said nothing. His partner took a sip from the coffee cup that sat on the table between them, then raised a single eyebrow. 
Didn't think so. Ben hid his determined smile by taking a drink from his own cup. They sat in a small corner coffee shop about three blocks from Tetton Play's building. It was one of those cozy little places that had been passed down through the family for generations and had the decor and spirit to match. Or at least that's what Ben preferred to think. In reality, it was probably brand new, owned by a corporation and professionally done up to give it that homey feel. Better not to think about that. So what's the plan? Ben swallowed and lowered his cup. Did you see Jackson's reaction when I asked him about Caldwell's link to Emily? Devin nodded. Tonight we follow him home, stake him out. Then we keep on following him until he leads us to what we need. Might take a while. I doubt it. Ben looked out the window toward the street beyond and the people going about their afternoon activities. Remember what Jackson said? Caldwell's pulling up sticks, covering his tracks. He'll move quickly, because he knows we're onto him. And that's why he'll make a mistake. It took less time than Ben thought it would. The first night was the usual uneventful, downright boring stakeout routine. The day that followed? Just the same. But this evening was different. Caldwell had departed technically later than he had last night and did not go home. Instead, he drove to the far side of town, to a small diner that looked like something out of the sixth decade of the 20th century, all chrome and neon lights, with booths inside and drive-up ordering stations outside. Ben felt his mouth watering as he sat in his ride half a block away, watching Caldwell slide into a booth near the front windows through low-light-equipped gyro-inoculars. His only dinner was a bag of chips and the cold-cut sandwich in the bag next to him. Probably Caldwell was getting much better than that in there. He glanced away from the gyronocular lenses and down the street to where Devon sat in his ride, facing the opposite direction. They had set up this way to minimize Caldwell's ability to make them, and also in case he met with someone. One of them would be able to follow the new guy, the other, Caldwell. And looky here... Another guy entered the diner and, moments later, sat at the same booth where Caldwell had just ordered his dinner. Ben squinted and adjusted the zoom control to better get a look at the guy. He was shorter than Caldwell, but that wasn't saying much. Muscular, with narrow features and eyes that constantly moved, scanning the room. He wore a leather jacket over a collared shirt. Maybe he had a piece in a shoulder rig. He looked the type to be carrying. The new guy and Caldwell spoke briefly and Ben wished he had been able to get an audio bug onto Caldwell's person. But without that warrant, Ben couldn't risk being caught doing something that blatant. He might be stubborn, but he wasn't stupid. The two men talked for a short while longer then, just as the waitress was returning with Caldwell's dinner, the second man stood up to leave. He hadn't even ordered a cup of coffee. Ben tapped his communicator, which was woven into the collar of his shirt. Devin, yep. Devin's voice came through the communicator into the implants in his ear, sounding as though he was sitting next to Ben in the car. Stay on Caldwell. I'm going to follow this guy, see where he goes. Roger. The man exited the diner and turned left. Ben lowered his gyrodoculars as the man walked past his ride on the other side of the street and sunk lower into his seat. He felt for a second as though their eyes met, but then the man passed him by. He continued to watch the man in the vehicle's rear view as he got into a car, started it, and sped away. Ben started his car and carefully made a U-turn, then set off after the rapidly shrinking taillights of the stranger's vehicle. Who might you be, and what are you up to? He couldn't help but grin as he drove into the night. A warehouse on the outside of town, typical in every possible way. That's where the new guy went. 
He stopped his car half a block from the warehouse's entrance and strode from shadow to shadow between streetlights. Bed did not stop driving. He passed the guy as he was walking down the sidewalk, turned right at the next intersection. He stopped halfway down the block and turned off his engine, securing all the lights. Then he waited for a moment. The guy did not come around the corner. So he had either gone into the warehouse or he'd doubled back. No way he had just doubled back. Ben got out of the car and hurried to the corner of the building. He reached into his coat and loosened his weapon in his holster, then touched his communicator again. Warehouse at the corner of Hollister and Voltaire. What's Caldwell doing? Devin's voice came back, finished dinner, and went home. Want I should come out to you? Ben thought it over for a few seconds. It would certainly be better to have Devin along as backup, but it would take half hour at least for him to get there. What if this guy was a red herring and Caldwell did something while Devin was away? No, stay there. I'll let you know what I find. You sure? Devin sounded doubtful. Yeah. Raj. Ben peeked around the building's corner. No one in sight. He straightened himself and squared his shoulders, then he stepped around the corner and walked toward the warehouse's entrance. The doors were locked, but no way was he going to let that stop him. He circled the building, hopping the fence that separated the loading docks at the rear from the side street, and crept up to the garage doors. All were shut, but there was an ordinary door off to the right of them. Locked, of course, but it was an old-fashioned mechanical lock. Ben knew how to deal with them. A few minutes later, Ben was inside. The place was dark, silent, and, apparently, empty. Yeah, like hell. Ben fished into his pocket and pulled out his gyronoculars. He fastened them over his head and turned on low-light mode. Immediately, the place sprang into view, apparently flooded by green-white light. The main area was long and broad, probably 200 feet across and half again as many deep, the ceiling a good 20 feet high. Shelves, mostly empty, lined the length of the building. But there were no people. Maybe the new guy hadn't come in here after all. Damn. Ben stalked down one of the aisles between shelves and spied nothing. And more nothing. He completed the trek up the aisle and turned down the next one. Screw this, there was nothing here. Time to get the hell out of here. Halfway down the aisle, his low-light vision flared brightly as light shone out, unexpectedly. Ben froze and dialed back the gyronocular's gain quickly. There, back at the rear of the building, where he had just been, and over to the left, someone had opened a door. And then the door shut, cutting off the light source beyond. Footsteps, soft but easy to hear in the silence, moved down the aisle next to the one Ben occupied. He crouched down quickly, being careful not to make any sound, and scrunched up next to the shelf, trying to minimize his profile in the darkness. If the other person had low-light equipment, it might not do much good. He'd just have to wait and see. The unknown person continued down the aisle. As the person drew alongside Ben's position, he held his breath, not daring to make even the smallest sound. Then the person was passed, heading for the front entrance of the building. Ben remained still until the person reached the front and opened the door. As soon as the door closed, Ben straightened and hurried to the back. Part of his mind screened for him to just get out the back door while the getting was good and before his luck ran out. He was in here illegally, after all. The rest of him said to hell with that. He had a case to solve. So instead of the rear exit, he moved over toward the other door, the one he had missed in his initial scan, the one the mysterious person had come from. The door was unlocked. The light beyond was out. The person must have shut it off before closing the door. Ben crept inside and closed the door behind him. Then, doffing his gyronoculars, he switched the lights on. 
his breath caught in his throat. The room was small compared with the rest of the warehouse, only 30 feet by about 15 feet, and it was filled with horizontally mounted stainless steel cylinders with built-in electronic displays showing numerous numbers and graphics that looked oddly familiar. Each cylinder rested on casters, so it could be moved, and each had a frosted-over window at the end closest to the wall. Ben moved toward the nearest cylinder and looked in the window, and his blood went to ice. Inside the cylinder was a young man, deeply tanned and handsome, and asleep. Or rather, in suspended animation. Now Ben realized what the readouts were. Medical displays, showing the boy's vital statistics. Were these all full? He quickly moved down the room, checking the windows. All were occupied, save for the last three, and in the final occupied cylinder, he had to call out the picture on his palm computer to make sure, but yeah, it was her, Emily Westerson. He reached up to his collar to activate his communicator, but froze when he heard a metallic clack behind him, followed by a low voice that sounded amused and cold. Well, 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 what have we here? Ben turned around. It? Slowly, brother. Don't want a hole in your head, do you? He slowed down, but continued turning around. The new guy from the diner stood there, just inside the doorway. And yep, just as Ben thought from that clicking sound, he had a great big handgun in his right hand, pointing right at Ben. The guy smirked. So, what are you, a cop? Ben shrugged, inwardly cursing his stupidity at not waiting for Devin's backup, but working very hard not to let his consternation show. Detective Sergeant Ben Mulcahy, you? The guy's lips turned upward in a sardonic grin. Oh, just a guy who doesn't appreciate cops sticking their noses into his business? He thumbed back the hammer on his gun. Ben rolled his eyes, like any gun made in the last century or so was only single action. Being a little dramatic, aren't you? If you're gonna shoot, just shoot. The guy actually laughed. <laughs> Don't mind if I do. Ben leaped to the side just as the gun went off. It felt like a hammer struck him in the hip, and he spun in mid-leap, landing on his back instead of his side. He slid to a halt on the floor between two of the cylinders, and had a second to inhale before the pain struck him. He gritted his teeth. With one hand, he dug inside his coat for his gun. With the other, he tapped his communicator. Need you, brother, Ben said as clearly as he could without screaming. Thought you would, came Devin's voice. Be there in five. Right then, Ben didn't care about the fact that his brother had disregarded his instructions. Room at the back of the warehouse. Shops fired. Hurry. He tried to sit up, gun in hand, but his hip screamed out at him and he couldn't rise. Come out, come out wherever you are, said the guy with the gun. He was walking slowly forward, toward where Ben lay. Okay, Ben said. He raised his gun and sighted in on the guy's leg, clearly visible between the cylinder's legs. Or he tried to, anyway. His hand shook and the angle was awkward as hell. He pulled the trigger. Of course, the bullet missed, but the guy gave a little yelp and scampered off to the side, so at least the miss brought Ben some time. He pushed with his feet and moved himself further away from the center aisle between the cylinders. His head struck the wall, and he pushed some more, gritting his teeth as he forced himself to sit up. Well, halfway sit up, anyway, but it beat lying prone. Where did that guy go? Ben looked around. He couldn't see his attacker, which probably meant he was crouched down behind one of the other cylinders. He took a moment to look at his hip. That was a fair amount of blood, and it was flowing pretty freely. Even if the gunman didn't finish him off, he was going to need medical care, and soon. He touched his collar. Where are you, man? Front door's locked. Just break the fucker down, or rit. Another shot rang out, and a bullet ricocheted off the wall near Ben's head. He allowed himself to slide down again, and his throbbing hip seemed to let out its own sigh of relief. Backup's on the way, Ben said loudly. He still couldn't see the gunman. 
You better get while the getting's good. So is mine, came the reply. Want to take bets over who gets here first? Crap. Ben didn't want to take that bet. He lifted his head and tried to look around again. Nothing. Wait. There. Movement between the cylinders three places down, and he dropped his head again just in time for the bullet to miss high. Immediately, he raised his gun and his head and returned fire. Three shots in the general vicinity of the gunman. A loud curse advertised that even if he hadn't scored a hit, he'd at least made things tough on the guy. Ben looked to the right. The next cylinder was empty. The casters near the aisle rolled free, but the ones near the wall were locked. If he could unlock them... He rolled over onto his side, gritting his teeth at the pain as his weight came down onto his wounded hip. He fumbled with the casters on the legs closest to the wall. The first, the closest, unlocked with ease. The farther... Damn it, the thing wouldn't budge. He tried again. Another shot rang out just as the lock flipped. A hammer blow struck just below his left shoulder blade, and Ben cried out. He smacked his face into the cylinder's leg. That hurt. Somehow it actually hurt more than his right hip that second. And more than his back, thanks to the vest Ben always wore. Footsteps behind him. The gunman. This has been fun and all, said the gunman, sounding far less than amused, but... Ben didn't let him finish. He took hold of the cylinder's leg and pushed with all his might. The damn thing was heavy, but it moved easily now that the casters were unlocked. Slowly at first, but then more rapidly, the cylinder moved away from the wall. Ben rolled back onto his back as the cylinder rolled away from him. It was gratified to see the gunman standing there holding his weapon pointing right at Ben's chest. The cylinder rolled right toward him, and the gunman's eyes went wide. He fired just as the cylinder struck him in the side. The bullet went wide and Ben grabbed up his gun again. His shots hit. Two in the chest, one in the head. The gunman fell and that was that. Except for Ben's hip. That hurt like a son of a bitch. Loud crashing from outside and Devin's voice came echoing through the building, calling his name. Ben tried to respond, but right then all he had the energy to do was lie there on the tile and hurt. Hospitals suck. Ben had always known it, even though he'd managed to avoid spending time in them up until now. But they really suck when you're in traction. The gunman's bullet had shattered his hip, and though surgeons had worked hard, it was going to be many weeks before he would walk again. Hell, he might not ever get back to 100%. Then again, looking across the room at the face of the captain, he figured not being able to run any marathons in the future might be the least of his worries. She was pissed. Breaking and entering. Surveilling a citizen without a warrant. Trespassing. Interfering with a federal investigation, added Jackson, who stood next to her, his face making her thundercloud expression look like a sunny day. And rescuing dozens of young people, Ben said. Might as well go down swinging. Both sets of scowls grew, if possible, even deeper. Before they could continue, Ben rolled on. You said yourself he was about to pull up chocks. If we waited around, we could have lost Emily and all those others. From their changing expressions, he saw they knew he was right. So you going to tell me what was really going on? Jackson grudgingly nodded. In some other less civilized countries, and on some of the colony worlds, there is a demand for labor. Ben scowled. For slaves, you mean? Yes, slaves. Both manual workers and other service providers. Sex slaves, he meant, but he was apparently too delicate to say it. I'm in a special task force combating trafficking in persons. We'd identified a supply route, but we weren't able to determine where and from whom they got the people. 
but you suspected Caldwell. His company, yes. Not necessarily him personally. We've encountered other cases of android substitutions elsewhere in the country. You can imagine why we kept it out of the press. We looked at Technoplay because the sensory stimulation he uses requires an intimate understanding of a person's neurology. It all clicked together. And getting that understanding allows them to do a neural workup. And once that's done, they could download memories while the kids were playing, without them ever knowing about it. And all that was left was to switch one of them out and replace her, and no one's the wiser, right? Jackson nodded again. They target their advertising to teenagers and young adults. The demand is highest for people in those age ranges. Of course, we couldn't shut them down because we had no real evidence, and Caldwell had his friends in high places. Ben sighed. It was the same old story again. Politics as usual. Did you get him? Jackson frowned and shook his head. No. The man who attacked you must have clued him in because he fled that same night, hopped the private jet, and was out of the country before he could even try to have the FAA ground it. By now, he's in a non-extradition country somewhere, but at least we've shut his operation down. He suddenly grinned viciously. I've heard through the grapevine that those high contacts of Caldwell's are doing quite a tap dance to avoid being named as accomplices. At least they'll be taken down a peg or two. And those kids are back home, or soon will be, the captain interjected. All is well that ends well, I suppose, Ben said, relaxing back onto the mattress of his bed. If you don't mind waiting until I'm healed to put me in jail, though, I'd appreciate it. The captain rolled her eyes. You know better than that. This thing's all over the net now. No way we could put you in jail, even if anyone wanted to. Yeah, that's about what I figured. Ben looked from her to Jackson. So now what? Now I get back to work. You managed to shut down this supplier, but there are others out there. He looked awfully tired all of a sudden. And all of a sudden, Ben didn't feel quite so good about himself. How many other kids like Emily and the others were out there stolen away from their homes and doomed to lives of servitude? There was nothing to it but to fight on, though. Give a ring if you need any help, Jackson. He tried to grin, but next time, do a brother a favor and fill him in on what the hell's going on before he gets shot, okay? Jackson snorted out a quick laugh. Will do. They shook hands. Then, with a final take care, Jackson left the room. The captain watched him go, then turned accusing eyes onto Ben. You know you're not ever to do anything like this again, right? What, no more rescuing kids? She just looked at him. He was stupid to not wait for backup. He knew it. She knew it. But was she actually going to make him say it? The tense silence lasted for most of a minute. Then finally, she shook her head. Just don't do it again. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so that's the uh, story. Hope you guys liked it. Um, obviously, as you can tell, this podcast is going to be longer than I usually like to make them. I like to keep them about a half hour. We're past that now, so I'm not going to spend too much time babbling at you here. Um, but as always, uh, please do spread the word about the podcast and the videos here uh, and about my work. Uh, tell your buddies, if you haven't liked and subscribed and all the other things you can do with podcasts and videos, please do that. Tell all your friends. If you like the story, go pick up a copy. Obviously, the best place to get it is straight from me because I get more money that way. But you can also find it on every ebook store and soon every audiobook store. And I haven't done the print version yet, but I will. And then if you'd like to show a brother a little love by picking up the story you already just heard, that'd be great. Um, if you like what I'm doing, 
don't want to buy the book, but you do like what I'm doing, like listening to the podcast, want to help continue it, since, you know, it does take time, go by my website, michaelkingswood.com. Got the supporting sponsorship uh, membership page there where you can get some goodies in exchange for throwing a little bit of little bit of cash, just a little bit of cash my way. Um, helps maintain the, the sites, maintain the podcast, and keep things going in a good direction. Um, so that'd be cool. Otherwise, uh, do tune back in here next week, and we'll I promise we'll get back on the schedule of things, and we'll continue on with the Pericles conspiracy uh, since. You get, we're actually right at the halfway mark on that book now. Uh, you knock that out, get her done, uh, so we can get A, so you guys know what happens to the story. You can stop sitting, standing on eggshells. Um, but also, so I'll have a really long audio book to put up, finally, um, that I've been wanting to put up for a while. That'll be good. Uh, yeah, so hey, it's now, it's Friday. It's Labor Day weekend here in the States. Hope all y'all have a fun, long weekend. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna have a fun long weekend. Guess I found out today my car needs a new crankshaft. But, hallelujah, Kia has the kick-ass warranty, so I don't have to pay for it. It's great. Um, but I am gonna have a rental car for the weekend. Yay! Or for the foreseeable future. Uh, so that's fun. Anyway, uh, again, hope you liked the story. Please spread the word. I'll talk to you next time. Till then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com, where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>